If you have a Bible, would you turn to Isaiah, please, chapter 9, if there are children who need to go and be part of um, another spot, nursery or things like that, that's okay right now, but the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 9. Have you found it? One of you did. This is that spot where I can say, okay, Isaiah's in the Old Testament, kind of halfway through, a little past the Psalms and Proverbs. If you found Isaiah 9, would you stand together with me just briefly in honor of the reading of God's Word? If you're able, uh, goodness, so many things to work through there. But Listen to the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be, per, uh, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading and study of your word. In Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. In the beginning, God created everything that is. He spoke and the universe came into existence. Light, matter, time, all responded to the voice of God calling them to be. And the highest of God's creation was humanity, people made in the image of God. But when God created people in his image, he created us, we know this, with purpose, right? All people exist for the purpose of displaying the glory of God to a watching universe. We're called by God to demonstrate his character of purity and kindness and mercy and justice and grace and love and a thousand other things. And I think you all know by now that we've never lived up to our calling, have we? How have you done it displaying to the universe all those attributes of God perfectly? Not so much, right? The first people that God made rebelled against him. 
Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided that they could better rule their lives than having God rule them. And so they disobeyed one command, the single command that God had given them. And as we learned last week, that sin plunged the world into chaos. Sin, which is failing to follow God, resulted in death and sorrow and gloom and all sorts of evil. But, as we also learned last week, when God responded to the sin of his first people, he did so by revealing to them a plan that God had devised before he ever created. God knew what humanity would do. God knew how people would rebel against him. And God planned as part of his ultimate plan to demonstrate his justice and his mercy through his creation. And as that plan unfolded, it all unfolded around one single promise. God promised that he was going to send somebody into the world to save his children. God would send someone into the world to set right what has gone wrong with the world because of our rebellion. God would send into the world a rescuer. Now, things, things weren't all dark in the world all the time, right? I mean, the promise of God and the mercy of God on the people in the garden hinted at the hope to come. God showed his kindness to Adam and to Eve and to their descendants time and time again. He allowed them to have children. He allowed them to experience joy. He repeated his promise over and over again that there would be one who would come into the world and set things right. He promised that the one to come would come out of the nation of Israel, out of the tribe of Judah, and that no matter how hard, how many times people and powers tried to prevent God's plan from coming to pass, God kept on preserving his people to preserve his promise. By the way, right there I just summarized for you almost the entire Old Testament. That's the story. Why does the book of Ruth exist? Because God was preserving his promise. Why does Esther exist? Because God was preserving his promise. Time and time again. And here we are today. And if you know the Bible, you already know how God made and fulfilled that promise that he made so long ago. The fulfillment, the, the sending of a rescuer. That's the story of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating. This season, properly understood, is about us thanking God and celebrating that God sent somebody into the world to save us, to cleanse us, to transform us, to make us into God's very own children. It's a season for rejoicing in the faithfulness of God through Scripture, through singing, through feasting, right? It's Christmas, and it's good. But isn't it also true that this isn't the easiest season of the year for everybody? It's Christmas time. And many people are having a great season. To so many, this is the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling and everyone telling them to be of good cheer. <laughs> Some people love the shopping, the music, the food, the gifts, the decorations. The food, the lights, the parties, the food. <laughs> but 
truth is, there are others. And not everybody looks forward to this time of the year. Because to some, the Christmas season is a time of gloom. It's a time of darkness. To some, while many people have great joy, they only have emptiness. Maybe it's the memory of a loved one or a disappointment in their life circumstances. But either way, there are many people who weep during this time of the year. So let me ask you a question. What do we do with the gloom? Whether you love Christmas or not, all of us face gloom and darkness at one point or another. How do we, how do we gain victory over the darkness that sometimes threatens to make its way into our hearts and chill our very souls? God has an answer to that question. And here's what's cool. It is in one of the most familiar passages ever for this time of year. So let's find three points, if you're an outline maker, in the passage that we just read so that we can see the victory of Christmas and the victory of God over the gloom of this life. If you want to write your first point, it'll be the call to hear God's promise to overcome the gloom. Just listen and hear it. Now, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. In order for you to get what this is all about, we have to do a little history. So stay awake. And if somebody falls asleep, it's okay to hit them. (laughs) It's obvious if we look at Isaiah 9 that we find ourselves in the middle of a discussion. How do you know? Look at Isaiah 9.1 and tell me, how do I know we're in the middle of a discussion? This is class time. You can respond. It says, but, right? Normally, you don't start a sentence like that, right? You don't go home, you know, without having spoken to your spouse and say, but what's for dinner? There's got to be something happened before that, right? What's happening here? From chapters 7 through 9 of Isaiah... God has been communicating something to the people of Judah. And we need to understand the history so that we can see the gloom and the promise that follows that gloom. So, if you don't know the history, here's some things you need to know. We know that God promised he was going to send his rescuer through the nation of Israel. But by the time the nation of Israel was on its fourth king, it was divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern part was Israel, the southern part was Judah. Judah was the group that carried the promise of God. God said the rescuer was coming out of the tribe of Judah. And Israel, once they divided from Judah, they often threatened Judah. They threatened by their idolatry, by their cavorting with pagan nations, by their bitterness against the nation that was not their own. They threatened the promise. Well, back in Isaiah chapter 7... We've got a king of the south named Ahaz or Ahaz. We'll call him Ahaz because we're just going to talk like Americans today, okay? So Ahaz was the king of the south in Judah. And he's scared. And we go to Isaiah 7. You can flip there. And there's a danger. You see, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, they're in danger of being overrun by two armies. When you're in danger of being overrun by two armies at once, it's a bad day, right? Well, the nation of Syria has teamed up with the nation of Israel, which is sometimes called Ephraim in this passage. That's one of the tribes of Israel. The nation of Syria has teamed up with Israel and they are, they are threatening to wipe Judah out. But here we go 
God makes a promise to King Ahaz. He says, I'm going to promise you that you're safe. I'm going to promise you that I'm not going to let the kingdom fall. I'm going to promise you that I'm not going to let my promise fail. God says, ask me, I'll give you a sign. King Ahaz says, I'm not asking for a sign. And this is where we find our verse. Verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, you stubborn, stinking king. That's in the original Hebrew. It's not here. Uh, Therefore, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to, choose, uh, to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So a child is going to be born. By the way, that has a double meaning. I'll tell you about it later. And one of the fulfillments of this is the promise that really soon, King Ahaz, there's going to be a kid born in the land. And before the kid born in the land is is smart enough to know left from right and good from evil, the dangerous armies of the north are going to be destroyed because the Assyrian, not Syria, but Assyrian army is going to come in and it's going to wipe out the two nations threatening Judah. Now look at Isaiah 8, verses 3 through 4. Let's keep the history going, because we love the History Channel. (laughs) Isaiah says, And I went to the prophetess, that's his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Now, in case any of you are going to add to your family, pay attention here. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maharshalal Hashbaz. That is what my next baby would be named if we were having any more. For before the, the, before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, that's the capital city of Syria and Israel, by the way, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So here's the near fulfillment of that promise from chapter 7. Here it is, chapter 8. Isaiah has a son, Maharshalal Hashbaz. By the way, the name pretty much means Sikkim. I'm not kidding you. That's what it means. It means get him. Go get him. And, and before that boy is going to be old enough to know good from evil, before he can say mama or dada, God says, I am wiping these kingdoms out that are threatening you, and Judah is going to be in peace. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that this is a good thing? If you were in Judah, you'd be like, yeah, I like this. But have you ever noticed that political things are never as smooth as we think they ought to be? You know what's sad? Instead of the people of the south, instead of the people of Judah welcoming the work of God through the Assyrian army, you know what they decide to do? They decide they're going to scheme with and support the kingdoms of the north who have been threatening them all along. Well, when the Judeans start siding with the northern folks, that eventually brings the Assyrians down on their own heads. And it threatens Jerusalem's very existence because now the Assyrians are mad at them too. 
But God keeps promising and he keeps promising he's not going to let Judah fall to Assyria, no matter how much they deserve it. Even though the northern tribe of Israel, the northern nation of Israel is going to be taken captive and they were led captive in 722 B.C. But catch the point here, please. Judah was in danger. God promised to defeat their enemies. The people of Judah are more tempted, though, to side with their enemies than to trust God. And God says he's going to show his power and he's going to show it really quickly. But if you were part of the northern kingdom or if you were a supporter of the northern kingdom at that time, this idea that Israel was about to fall at the hands of the Assyrians, that was discouraging. It brought on a season of sadness and darkness and gloom. And and I have to tell you, the fall of the northern kingdom was ugly as can be. And that ugliness, that sadness, that darkness, that, oh my goodness, the world is crumbling around me. That's the feeling that pervades what comes next. So let's look at the end of chapter 8. Look at 8.22. And we'll read into 9. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. How dark it must have seemed for the people whose armies were being crushed. How terrible it must have felt to see the Assyrians leading the people of Israel captive in chains. But God has a promise here. In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the hardship, in the middle of the gloom, God says there is going to come a day when the gloom is going to be broken. In the land of Galilee, up in the north, in that kingdom that's being emptied right now, light's going to dawn. Though the stretch of land that was called the way of the sea, by the way, that's the very route the Assyrians came in on and destroyed Israel. That stretch of land, that way is going to see great joy. Look at verse 2 and 3 of Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So here we go. In the middle of a land full of gloom, light is going to be seen. In the middle of a land of beaten down, conquered people, God is going to bring joy. The people are going to rejoice as if they were the ones who won a victory. They're going to party like an army dividing up the treasures that they just won verse 4 and 5 for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day at Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire 
See, God says to these guys, I'm going to break the power of the oppressors. Just like the day when Gideon and his little band of 300 guys wiped out 135,000 Midianites. God says a day is coming in which he, God, by God's power, is going to drive out all the sadness and all the gloom and all the darkness of all who are his people. Now, we haven't seen how this is going to work yet. But God has made a promise that we want to see before we get into how it happens. God told the people of Israel and Judah, guys, there's going to be a time of great sadness. There's going to be a time of deep gloom. But God says, your sadness is not going to last forever. The darkness is going to give way to dawn. The hurt is going to give way to joy. Psalm 30 verse 5 says to us, His anger is but for a moment and His favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Yeah, there may be gloom. There may be sorrow. There may be great hardships. But for those who are the children of God, the gloom is... Temporary. Christians don't let that go. God promises and God never lies that the darkness that we feel in this life will eventually give way to dawn. He promises that gloom is something that will be broken. He promises that evil will be defeated. He promises that in the end, joy will come. Now, we've all gone through hard times at one point or another, right? How do you survive? One of the key ways to survive the hardships of any season of life is if you know that those seasons are going to pass. We can live with difficulties if we know eventually those difficulties are going to be removed. And be certain of this. Only God's children, only those made right with God, have this promise. Only those forgiven of their sins, made part of God's family by Christ, can know for certain that their dark times will eventually give way to marvelous light. So this morning, listen to me, Christians, and hear God's promise to overcome gloom. What God promised to Ahaz and Judah in small, he promises to his children in large. Joy will come. Sorrow will end. Hear it. Know it. Let it shine the light of hope into your heart. Because that will begin to drive away any gloom of any season. Now I said to you though, only God's children get this hope. So how do you get it? Let's look at point two and we'll see. Second point, come to Jesus and find victory over gloom. This will make sense. Look at verse six. This sound familiar? In the middle of all this stuff about how sad it is for the northern kingdom, here's what it says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How 
in history there is God going to win the victory? How in life is God going to win the victory? How is God going to drive away the enemies of Judah? How is God going to free his people from the oppression of evil rulers bent on their destruction? In a greater way, how's God going to bring you and me hope from the darkness of this sin-fallen world? Don't you think it's amazing that the answer is through a child? To us, a child is born. A child's going to come. A baby is going to be born. And when that child comes, he's going to be the one who makes the difference. He will free us. He will defeat the darkness. One child is the key. The center of God's plan. Now, we already read the passage back in Isaiah 7 where God told the people that a child was going to be born who was going to be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And it's true, by the way, that Isaiah's son, Maharshalal Hashbaz, love to say that. That's the longest name in the Bible, by the way, if you ever get a trivia contest, that's it. That child being born in chapter 8 fulfills what was promised in chapter 7 on one hand. It was Isaiah's son who was to be born, and before that kid knew right from wrong or left from right or could say mama or dada, the Assyrians came in and defeated the Syrians in the northern kingdom. Isaiah's child was absolutely a sign that God was with his people, protecting his people, preserving his promise. But as I told you before, that prophecy has more than one fulfillment. And Isaiah's son really only foreshadows the ultimate focus of what the promise is. So now when we see here that another child is coming, another son is to be born, we see that God has a much bigger fulfillment in mind because Emmanuel is coming. What's that mean? That means God is going to be with us. And this promised child, this promised Emmanuel, he's going to set the world right. The government is going to be on the shoulder of this child. The one to come is going to reign as a ruler. Though God's people might suffer darkness at the hand of the world, eventually an ultimate king is going to come who's going to reign as the supreme ruler over all things. Isn't it wonderful to know that somebody's coming who's going to govern? I don't know. Depends how much you like governing, right? Is it nice to think of someone coming to rule the world? Depends who wants to take over the world, doesn't it? What kind of ruler is he going to be is a good question, right? Because if I told you I'm going to give you somebody who's going to rule the world, you shouldn't be excited yet, right? I remember watching a cartoon where two mice kept trying to take over the world. They weren't going to be good rulers, trust me. But look at this ruler. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Can you imagine this in a politician? He's going to have wisdom. He's going to have wisdom the like of which the world has never seen. He's going to be so wise, so glorious in his thoughts, in his counsel, in his ideas, that the world is going to say, that guy is wonderful. His wisdom is going to leave people astounded. When's the last time you saw a president like that? 
How would you like to have a ruler who was a wonderful counselor? How would you like to know that the affairs of all of the nations, not just our nation, but all the nations, were under the guidance of the wisest person ever to live? This sounds good. He's also going to be the mighty God. See, not only is this guy going to be wise who's coming, he's going to be powerful. He's going to be mighty. He's going to be the mightiest of the mighty. He's not going to be mighty like any man you've ever met is mighty. No, the one to come is indeed the mighty God come to earth. Nobody can defeat him. Nobody can overthrow him. He's too wise to be fooled. He's too strong to be crushed. This is very good. He's going to be the everlasting father. See, in the old days, kings who were wise and venerable and kind, and man, the kings that people loved, people thought of them as fathers over the land. The one to come, he's going to be the father who lasts forever. He's going to be the father for all eternity. He's going to be a ruler who is so loved by his people, they're going to say he is the father of our nation. We love this guy. This is very, very good. He's also going to be the Prince of Peace. As a ruler, he's not going to be merely the authority. He's going to bring peace. You ever get sick of seeing things on the news in which people are being hurt and destroyed and abused? How about a little peace? In a world where violence and rebellion and lawlessness seem to reign, the idea of a coming one who's going to bring peace is very, very, very good. So for the people who are going to suffer dark days and the gloom that we saw coming into this chapter, the coming of a child who would be everything that was just promised is, is like a ray of hope shining in their hearts. And for you and me, here's what you need to know. He has already come. The child has been born. The son has been given. The government of the universe is on his shoulders. He is the wonderful counselor, wise and willing to help. He is the mighty God, God with us in strength. He is the everlasting father, a beloved father figure who will be with us forever. He is the prince of peace, bringing us the most important peace ever, peace with God. Who is that person? It's Jesus. God, the Son, who came to earth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was the light of God who walked in Galilee. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, wiser and more noble than Solomon. Jesus is the mighty God. He has come to earth. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He's not God the Father, by the way. But he is the beloved ruler for eternity. And we can love him in a way that a nation might love its fatherly ruler. And Jesus is the prince of peace, bringing peace with God to anyone who will come to him. Do you want hope to drive away the gloom? Do you want hope for the future? Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be forgiven of your sin. Come to Jesus and remember that the eternal plan of God is being accomplished and will be accomplished. Come to Jesus and remember that every single person who trusts in him and every person who trusts in his life and death and resurrection is going to be made into a child of God. Come to Jesus and you will find victory over the darkness and the hardships of this life. 
Now, does that mean he's going to make your life easy? No. But he will give you hope and joy and peace with God forever, and that's worth a lot more. How can we be sure that the child I'm talking about here is Jesus, though? How can we know that God means that this is all going to last forever? Look at the last bit. Third point. Look forward, Christians. Look forward to the coming of Christ's glorious kingdom. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here we go. We see that the one to come, his kingdom is going to last forever. Of the increase of his kingdom, there is going to be no end. He's going to stretch peace from here to eternity. Then we see that this is going to happen on the throne of David. How in the world? Well, God promised David, I would say, what, maybe 300-ish years? Not quite before this passage. God promised David that there would be a descendant of David's who would rule on the throne forever. That was in 2 Samuel 7.16, just so you know. God said, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Talking to David. But now God tells us that the one who's going to set right a world gone wrong is the one who would sit on David's throne forever. And the throne of David is going to be established with two things, justice and righteousness. I like those things. These are good things. And those things, they fit the person and work of Jesus because justice and righteousness mark everything Jesus ever did. Jesus was perfectly righteous. He, as God in flesh, is the only man who never sinned. And his righteousness was flawless. But Jesus also suffered the penalty of justice for the sins of other people. Jesus shows us that God is just because he always rightly punishes sin. But God is also loving and merciful, forgiving every single person who would ever put their faith in Christ. The last two lines of our passage for today, though, they show us that the kingdom that we're hearing about, it's going to come and it's going to stand forever. God's zeal, God's passion for God's glory is going to make this all happen. God's plan is set and nobody will ever defeat it. In case you don't know, this kingdom has come. And in case you don't know, this kingdom is coming. But that's the only right way to look at the kingdom of God. Has come, is coming. Is it already? Yes. Is it not yet? Yes. Does that bother you? Tough. (laughs) God sent us the child. God sent God the Son. Jesus was born. 
of a virgin, God with us. And in his first appearing, he began his reign. He began the establishment of his kingdom. Jesus paid the penalty for the sins of every single person who would be his follower. He made a way for people like you and me to be forgiven. All we have to do if we want to be part of that kingdom is to believe in him and place our full trust in him. All we have to do is turn away from our sin, say, I don't get to be in charge of my life anymore, but Jesus, I want you to be in charge and we'll be forgiven. But Jesus is coming again. He's coming again to set up and to finalize his kingdom. He's going to return. He's going to come back. And when he comes back, when he comes, he's not going to be born as a lowly baby in a stable this time. No, 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 no. He's going to come back as the glorious King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And what does this have to do with victory over gloom, you ask? Like we said earlier, we can live through most anything if we know there's something good on the other side of it. Isn't that true? Well, as the gloom of the Christmas season sets in on some folks, remember, Christmas is not actually about the things that the world magnifies. By the way, that's the good stuff and the bad stuff. Can I just tell you? When people say, oh, this is a season of family. Well, yeah, but not really. Oh, this is a season for peace. Well, yeah, eventually. Oh, this is a season of giving. Well, kind of, but not the way most of you say it. Right? Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is God who came to earth. Jesus is the promised king. And Jesus is going to reign as king forever. Do you need help? He's the wonderful counselor. Do you need strength? He's the mighty God. Do you need tenderness and love? He's the everlasting father. Do you need peace? He's the prince of peace. Do you need hope? His kingdom will come and his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. Focus on Jesus and he will help you walk through the gloom as you set your eyes on his glorious victory. But again, since I don't know everyone's heart in this room even, Can I remind you, you only get this hope from Jesus if you have become his follower. If you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, God commands that you turn to Jesus. You can't do anything on your own to be made right with God. You've got to turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, believe that Jesus, God the Son, lived perfectly. Believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Believe that Jesus, the guy we're talking about from 2,000 years ago, is still alive right now. Believe that Jesus is going to return physically, bodily, to this earth as the king of all kings. Believe in Jesus. Call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. Please take charge of me. Ask him to have mercy on your soul and he will give you the glorious victory that we see being won even on Christmas. 
Would you bow with me to pray? Lord God, we are grateful. Your mercy is great, and you are worthy of praise. And as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, we ask for victory over the gloom. We ask for hope. We ask for peace. We ask for joy. We ask for all that stuff. And Lord, what we would have you do with us now is move and work in our hearts. I pray that this weird passage would give hope to people who don't yet know you, that there could be hope found in Christ. I pray that this weird little passage would give hope to people who do know you, but who hurt. Be magnified. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.